Redefining narratives and shifting perspectives. This is Story Noir. Welcome, welcome in to the inaugural episode of Story Noir. I'm your host, Opal. And as always, I'm super excited to be sharing space with you today. Today, I am joined by none other than Miss Shalonda. And we met, I believe that we met um, via Facebook. Um, as usual, as, as a lot of the stories go, you know, we slid in the DMs. We, I think I was drawn to um, messaging you because I knew that you were a writer and the fact that we kind of have similar names. Um, my middle name is Elonda. And so I'm like, okay, hey, hey, cousin. Hey, name cousin. Because um, I was just like, this is someone that I really want to network with. But tell the people who you are. Because I, I know that I was fascinated and drawn to you, but let the people know who we're talking with today. Okay, so a brief little synopsis of my story is that um, I was in foster care from the age of 10 and then I aged out and I went to college and a little bit about me from the perspective of being in foster care and to college, I am the unique special golden child of my family, right? So I thought that, or at least everyone else thought that I would be successful and I am like, I am the successful aged out foster youth that I want other people to you know, aspire to be. So then I created a business. And the first business idea was Yermoja's Media. And it was just for my photography and my marketing plan. And then I started to think about why I am successful and what were the components of my success. And so I attribute that to therapy. And I was like, yeah, I love to speak. And so a lot of my story comes with talking out my problems. But then I had another uh, shift in thinking that not everyone can rise to being that vulnerable and speaking about their issues. So Yamoja Speaks came into the existence to shed light that we can use our art to really express ourselves. And what's so fascinating is you don't really necessarily have to speak about it. You can draw pictures, you can do poetries. And for me, I utilized the poems that I was writing in college to express myself. And then I would do it as spoken word. And that was able, I was able to really just feel what I was having to go through, but then also being able to release it. And so then I started to write letters to people and some of them I decided to send off you know to get them to understand like this is how I felt this is how you made me feel and this is how I'm releasing it but then another idea was to just keep it for myself and I wanted other people to go through that as well to have that experience of how to shift from surviving foster care to thriving after foster care. That makes sense. And thank you for sharing. And I think a lot of people who find their gifts, because I think your writing is definitely one of your gifts. Um, we kind of understand it at a young age, but then maybe we kind of write it off. Not No, no pun intended in this sense, but like it's something that we try to kind of mute. But when did you realize that writing was your gift and speaking was your gift? Ooh, so speaking was different. So I was 16 when I started speaking on panels and I was sort of the ambassador for foster care. So they were inviting me to speak on different panels and I would travel around the, the country and just give my perspective about being in foster care and the things that I had to actually deal with and what we could do to change laws to make foster care a little bit more normal, should I say, for foster youth because the experiences that we had were not to that of a normal teenager and having certain um, benefits added to us. Like for me personally, I needed a car to get to a job mm -hmm. because the community that I stayed in, it was overly saturated with youth who was looking for work as well. And so mm -hmm. I needed to go further out. And so the process of that was harder but it it definitely made me, you know, work towards the challenge. So then I started to think, if I'm going through this, I know that other foster youth are also going through this. Mm -hmm. Even though I'm navigating it quite nicely, 
not everyone is going to be willing to do that. And so I was deciding how I can tell them, you know, lawmakers and social workers, this process needs to be a little bit more easier for us to go through because we don't really know how to navigate it. And so speaking came at the age of 16, but writing came a little bit later when I got into college and I was invited to a speak up event. And they were like, oh, you should write, you're so good. And we're trying to, and I was like, I am not a writer. Like, I, I don't know how to write poetry. And I, I remembered when I was in high school, my English teacher was like, I have the attitude and the charisma for this particular you know, poem that he wanted me to recite, but I didn't have the confidence to do it in high school. And when I got to college, I remembered that um, that thought and that feeling that I had when he really wanted me to do this poem and I couldn't rise to the occasion. And so I was like, okay, let me try this exercise and see what comes about and let me just go with it. So writing came when I was in college and someone kind of forced it out of me. Like you are an actually good writer and you do have a really good message and you need to share it. And so that was my first real initiative to take in writing more seriously. And that's amazing. And so do you think now that you have had someone pull you into becoming and embodying that of a writer that you would inspire other people to? Because I feel like that's something, you know, big as well. That mentorship aspect of it is something huge. So what's kind of your experience with mentorship in that sense? And then maybe also being a mentor. Yeah. So I would recommend, you know, writing to people, but also the other arts. Because, you know, writing isn't for everyone. I like to journal, but that's not everyone's technique or, you know, coping mechanism that they can utilize. So I know my my niece, she's fantastic at drawing. And so it keeps her focused. And so the other arts, you know, dancing, singing, acting, you know, the other arts can be utilized to express ourselves. It's just needing to be expressive in a form of therapy, therapy. And so how and what does that look like? So Yamoja speaks, is creating a program to kind of structure that out so that you can go through, you know, a therapeutic aspect of getting things out, but then also expressing yourself as well. So it's trying to combine those two together and really get people to overcome and and go through their journey, their traumatic experiences, their life lessons, but then also have fun with it. Because believe me, ah, Going through trauma is one thing, but actually trying to uplift yourself out of it and moving forward with your life is a completely different journey. So yes, I did have mentors. And what I did was I had a mentor for every phase of my life and every category of my life. I don't know why I'm so particular, but I had to set out like, this is my career mentor. (laughs) This is my personal mentor. And so they helped me kind of navigate, but then they also seen potential in me that at the time, I think I didn't see. And so a mentor always helps you out to pull something out of you. And they see things like your skills, your talents, and they see it. And even though we don't see it at the time, they see something that is beyond our scope. And then as they're talking to us, they they are abstracting it. They're asking us questions about it. And we're like, huh? Because I definitely had aha moments where I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I probably should do that. Maybe yeah. I should go that route. <laughs> Sometimes I others, thought- they see what you don't see in yourself, even though it's already there. And oftentimes yeah. it's like, you know, you have everything that you need. It's just about, you know, pulling that out. And so like I think yeah. that that's really the important part of of mentorship and so um right. creating community also is a huge thing and, and again as I mentioned earlier we had met online and you've been kind of in the foster care advocacy space for quite some time and so what has your journey been like um, making community online and meeting people um who who have you met have you met folks in person have you created with them what has that experience been like since it's so accessible nowadays oh yeah 
I think the online community is a wonderful place to start. Like I have met a ton of people just because I make the reels and it reaches a lot more people. So expressing that I was in foster care and being more vocal is starting to shift the narrative about foster youth. And I'm like, we need a big shift because instead of troubled teens, we need traumatized teens. And so I think creating a community there where we rephrase the word usage and we look at our behaviors or our actions or our community a little bit differently, then we're able to shift the conversation. So online, yes, I've been able to create the conversations, create the relationships, and then build it so that we can build a better community. Oh, that's amazing. And I think (laughs) even growing up, um, I grew up like in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, So the internet was a thing. But I, as a, even at 16, did not have a voice or kind of have the language of what it was like to talk about the fact that I was, you know, in foster care slash adoption. Like, it wasn't until I was in my early 20s. And so the fact that you were walking up to lawmakers and you were speaking about this at such a young age, like, that's really amazing. And I kind of wish that I was able to do that back then as well. Um, and so I hope that I can inspire Um, other people to talk about it. And so um, you had mentioned that you had entered foster care at the age of 10. And I think folks within, you know, the foster care adoption community all have their own experiences. Some people like myself were born into the system. Some people experienced family separation, you know, when they were toddlers. But at 10, that's, you know, that that's a time that you're going to remember what life was like before going into the system where a lot of people talk yeah. about where they can't. So I'm, I'm curious about your perspective and whatever you would like to share with folks, because that that is a, a unique perspective right there. Yeah. So my experience is that I know what it was like living with my mom. Right. And so I had the idea of a foundation. And that's what makes my story a little bit more unique because I did have a certain foundation. It wasn't the best foundation, right? Of course, but I had principles to stand on. I had relationships to stand on. I had a family that I had knew and I had grown to love and seen from a child's perspective as being perfect, right? And then I get, you know, this news that I'm being uplifted out of the home and the the family that I know to something else. And so at the age of 10, it was kind of confusing because I never knew what foster care was, right? So I'm like, what is this? Who is this? And I think I isolated myself. That's my coping mechanism, at least. At, it still is. I'm going to be honest. It still is my coping mechanism. <laughs> Same. To, Same. To isolate. <laughs> at least I recognize it, though. Yeah. So at least I know that I go to escaping. But at 10... Instead of trying to really integrate into this new family, I isolated myself and I withdrew a lot and I wasn't as easily to be open with them and being vulnerable with them. But I did have my two brothers there with me inside the home. So it made the process a little bit more easy because Mm -hmm. they were there. And I could, you know, go back to my my two brothers and at least have a decent conversation. Mm-hmm. And since they were more easily opened to this experience, I was like, okay, if you are comfortable, I think I can be comfortable too. And so did you all, that did you and your brothers kind of have that conversation? I mean, I guess as much as a 10-year-old can articulate of like, hey, this is where we're at you know, we just got taken away from our home. Like, we're now going to be living with these strangers. So like, we have to bond together. Or was it kind of like, this is where we're at? Like, I don't know. What 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 is that like? Because <laughs> I, I don't know I, what that's I, like to have that conversation. I wish, I wish. I definitely had wished and hoped. But no, that's not how the conversation went. I think because, you know, my mom, she set principles and, and guidelines for us. So we had sayings mm-hmm. growing up like one fight all fight so we just had a we had an understanding mm-hmm. that we're sticking together right okay. and we already knew that going into it so we didn't have to have the conversation of you know how we're going to move or what it would look like we didn't have those conversations I wish that we could have been more open and shared like how we were truly feeling about the experience but that conversation has never happened even 
me being almost 30, it still hasn't happened. And I really want my siblings to, you know, open up and share, like, how did this really affect you? Because it's showing up in your behaviors. Yes. It's showing how you show up to the world. Exactly. But you're not authentic to telling the truth. And so we haven't had that set, sit down conversation just yet. Even as adults. Yeah, I, I can totally relate. I don't think, you know, either me or my four <laughs> siblings have sat down and be like, man, this was really effed up what we went through. And I think it definitely informs how we show up today. And so yeah. um, what's been interesting is, are you the only girl um, out of all of your siblings? No, I have okay. a, another sibling. So my mom's side, okay. there's five so okay, it's same. Three boys. Okay. Yeah. So three boys and two girls. And then on okay. my dad's side, I have a younger sister. Okay. Cause I say, I, I ask that because I think for me when talking with, um, I only have um, brothers and so they're like, you're more sensitive, Opal, that, you know, you, <laughs> you're the one who wants to get together and have the kumbaya <laughs> moment, but you know, we don't necessarily want to do that. And so I'm like, yeah. I don't necessarily think this is a gender thing per se, but maybe the way that you have been socialized, you've believed, you know, that, you know, you can't express your emotions in that way. But even as adults, I thought that, you know, as a kid, I'm like, maybe we'll just finally talk about this when we're adults. But unfortunately, that hasn't been the case. So yeah. I'm, I'm curious, yeah, to see, to see how that has shown up for you with your siblings. But I guess we're all, you know, we all experience the elephant in the room of like, we know this happened to us, but we don't necessarily, I guess we have to move on now that we're yeah. adults. Even though you know what? I think that some people come into, you know, their experience and how it's shaping their life at different times. Mm-hmm. So eventually if it, if it becomes too overwhelming, mm-hmm. oh, they're going to know and want to discuss it, you know, yeah. and they have to know that it's their time at that moment. Cause I knew very early when it was my time to speak, but then I also, was 10 when my mom told me to get on the news and start telling our story. And I was super scared. And I was like, oh, no, mom, I cannot. Interesting. <laughs> so I interesting. What did she want you to say um, with like y'all's story? What was the story that she wanted you to convey? Because I'm curious. You know what? I unfortunately did not have the opportunity to officially ask her. But I think because my mom just knew how I was, she wanted me to express it the way that I needed to express it, right? To look and observe, because I was very observ- observ- observative when I was young. I was very observative. And so she wanted me to kind of look at our story, get all the information, and from my perspective, tell this story. And so mm. whatever that story may be. And so since then, I was like, okay, whatever the story is, mm-hmm. like, I, I think I know what I want our narrative to be. And at 10, I didn't know. I didn't know yeah. what our story was. But since, you know, speaking out, I had to ask questions to my family. So it was more so me trying to understand, well, why am I in foster care? What was the story? Mm-hmm. And so I, I went on a journey of asking my dad, my, my grandmother, my uncles, the caseworkers, and I was really just getting a lot of information to start to tell that narrative of what my mom had to go through and why we were initially in foster care in the first place. Yeah, that part of like, it's kind of the unspoken thing of like, mm, we don't talk about this necessarily yeah. outside of the house. And so yeah. um, it's interesting. So I have a list of questions here um, that I've been asked myself in therapy. Um, and it's called the adult children of alcoholics discussion questions. And when I first read it, I think I was yes. angry because <laughs> I'm like, gosh, these questions are so pointed. But <laughs> as I've sat with them over the years, um, it's been very interesting to kind of think about. And so if I may ask you one again, feel free to answer however much or however little. But I'm like, I definitely resonate with this. So um, and you can apply it however. So the question is, Families develop their own rules, either spoken or unspoken, to cope with the behavior of an alcoholic caregiver. For example, don't talk about family problems or avoid conflict. Growing up, these rules have been necessary to survive. However, in future relationships, these rule, these same rules can be harmful. What, what are some of the things that your family, de- what, what rules did your family develop in response to your caregiver's alcohol use? So I guess it's like, what things did you use to kind of hide that? So that's a huge question. So you can sit with it for a minute. But when when I was asked that, I was like, Whew. so you can sit with it for a second. 
Yeah, let me sit with it because, ooh. Okay, so I think I will go back to two points. As a child, I don't remember. Okay, so no, as a child, I seen the drinking, but I didn't see like other drug use. So my mom um, definitely had other vices and I personally were unaware to it until the day that my sister called me up and was like, hey, do you know mom, mommy was doing this drug? And I was like, no. I'm like, I had a idea that some yeah. type of drug at the age of, you know, 15, when I kind of seen um, certain things happening. But at that time, I wasn't living with my mother. Mm -hmm. And so when I was really young, I really didn't see the aspects of drugs being used except alcohol, but it was more on occasions where, you know, yeah. they're about to have a party. And so I didn't see a, a real problem. But then if I get older and I start to think about, you know, the perspective of like my dad drinking and being able to really see how it, it affected him because it involved me as well. And he showed up um, to a visitation intoxicated and it affected me so much that I said I wanted to leave and I couldn't deal with him being a certain way because certain behaviors and his mood his personality changed and we were trying to reconnect and redevelop our relationship and so it it was like a let me move away from this situation and then when I asked him later in life to come stay with me so I can get to really know him on a deeper level, more personal, I started to say to him, you know, this is not the home for drugs. You cannot use drugs. You can't use alcohol here. But then I seen that he was even sneaking his way to have a drink anyway. And he would, he would navigate it to have a drink. And so how I internalized it or looked at it was he really has a problem but instead of trying to cover it up I displayed certain behaviors so that he can see the problem and how it affects me so maybe it's not the best maybe I should not have done this but I picked up certain habits that mirrored kids so that he can see that you're older and you have an influence over me, but I made sure that I stayed in my perimeter where I was comfortable, right? Okay. So I just and mirrored his behaviors with his drinking. And mine was not with, with alcohol. Mine mm -hmm. was with weed. But um. I showed him that, you know, because you're so close to me and because your genetics is intertwined in mine, this is the product that you're creating, but it can go two ways because at the time I was in college. So it can go two ways. I can be in your space and in your world and I can show you that I can become you or I can be better and I can be a college graduate. So I mirrored a lot mm. of the behavior that I had so that he can see what he was doing. So I didn't hide it. I, did, I didn't have mechanisms of hiding my mom's uh, drug use because I didn't see it and then I showed my dad his behaviors and his his alcoholism in his face man that's like something it's like put, let me show you the ways like I am part of you and you are part of yeah. me and so man that's yeah, that, isn't that powerful that is powerful <laughs> it's like why would you want to because like sometimes people don't see the wrong that they're doing until mm -hmm. it's mirrored back to them, right? And yeah. so, I don't know, I was big at, I call it manipulation, but then I, I had to rephrase it and, and say that it's actually influencing. Let's, because people have this negative, you know, narrative for manipulation and it's just mm -hmm. influence over someone. So I would influence people based off um, getting them to see what mm -hmm. they're doing by mirroring man that's yeah. powerful stuff. <laughs> that reflection in the water and I, I always go back to the water um like motif because of you know yamoja and so um okay so the next question that I have for you is a little bit more of a softball question it's still you know it's gonna get into the feels but um let's see Despite a difficult upbringing, adult children of alcoholics may find that they have developed tremendous strength and resilience. What did you learn during childhood that is still valued to you now? 
and what strengths did you develop because of it? Ooh. It's not a big <laughs> It's like, oh, I can re I can repeat the question if you need me to. Okay, but repeat the question so I can kind of fill okay. it out. Despite a difficult upbringing, adult children of alcoholics may find that they have developed tremendous strength and resilience. What did you learn during childhood that is still valuable to you now? And what strengths did you develop because of this? Ooh, okay. Wow, what strengths? Yes. Oh, that is a good one. Okay, that makes me really just take a second to think about it. So Please. my resiliency. Whew. Yeah, because I definitely feel like I have to be resilient, but... 100%. Wow, man. Okay, so when I think about resiliency, for me and my experience, I think I think back to, you know, my determination. And I think back to um, my mom's principles and what she said. Like, her foundation was a little rocky. We might have been missing a few pieces, but I think that she set a precedence for my entire trajectory of my life so I have to attribute that to her and then I also have to go back into because she taught me how to have focus on like my education for example um she practiced with me she she taught she didn't graduate from high school but she understood the value of education and so she would be sitting there with me the night before to read over my vocabulary words with me and to do my math problems with me. And it might've been limited, but that was the foundation for me having something to hold on to, right? And so making that transition to having more traumatic things thrown on top of it, I had a focus because even with her, there was different times I moved and I didn't have friendships and I didn't want to get close to people. And so what I had a foundation was going back to something that kept me focused, which is my education and being the star bright student. And so I led with that. And I think even now in adulthood, that is the foundation that keeps me grounded because I have something that no one can take away from me and I value it so much. So I always say to people, you know, everything else, materialistic things can be ripped away from you, but the knowledge that you have, you can always recreate it. And so my resiliency comes from my mom's foundation and then stacking on top of that with the education and having something that I can stand on, which is my brilliant mind. Period. Oh my yeah. goodness. Because no one can take my education and I can always you know, be in different circles. I can yeah. always find my way and navigate my way. Even if I, you know, stumble a little bit upon my path or I get into spaces that I really shouldn't be in, but I need to be in, you know, to kind of develop that portion and understand why I'm in that space, mm -hmm. you know, to then understand like, you need to get out of this space. This is not the space for you, right? <laughs> it was cool being in this for five minutes, but your five minutes is up, you know, to really get going with my journey. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing. And so I'm curious about, um, so a lot of people who have experienced family separation as a kid often, you know, may grow up to be like, I never want to have kids and, you know, forget the family and, you know, da, 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 da. And so I myself haven't had children. Um, I, As a birth worker, I help people uh, along their family planning journeys. But for you as a mother, how has your experiences through foster care informed you as a parent? Because again, oftentimes we could be caught up on the notion of like, I'm never going to do that to, you know, we're always caught up on what we're not going to do yeah. and not focus on right. how we do show up as parents. But again, I'm not a parent myself. So yeah. how has that informed how you um, are as as a mother? Yes. So I, I just know that my, my entire journey, like I've always been around kids, like my sister has a lot. And then my brothers, they all, okay, so all of my siblings had children before me. So I've always had some child that was connected to me in some way. And I've always had this like mothering, nurturing ability. And so even though I didn't have kids in the beginning, 
I've always had the idea of this mothering, nurturing, affectionate personality. And so I was scared of motherhood. I'm like, I can be an a auntie. I could be a wonderful mm. auntie, right? And mm-hmm. I was like, motherhood. <laughs> and, you know, all these questions and thoughts. And I think, you know, a lot of us might go through that. Just like you just said, you know, you're like, oh, I don't want this. And I don't want that. Like, it, it's the fear of what could happen or how you might be, or not being ready. But for me, I knew that I wanted to be a mother. And I said it in my my journey, because I was like, I want to be a mother at this time of my life. I think I'll be emotionally stable. I'll be healthy. I'll have this. And that's not what happened. I had my children a little bit earlier. And I was like, I'm okay with that. Because have a good foundation and I go back to my mom's foundation and her rules and what she taught me and then I even made a post on online and said although our foundations from childhood is not what we want our children to stand on we can always add to it so I had my mom's foundation I had the mentors who built onto that foundation I went to college and got connected with a lot of people who were like very inspirational and they helped to build my foundation. So then I, I walked into motherhood. Like, I think I am okay with this. I'm okay with going through this change. But I will say when I became a first time mom, I did have some struggles. So I went through, and I didn't know it at the time, but I was going through postpartum depression, but it wasn't to the extreme mm. where want my child to be around me I definitely wanted my child to be around me a little bit too much maybe for everyone else's liking but you know for me it was I had to make the transition from always doing some type of project and being on a go to now having to just stay home and be still and that stillness you know thoughts and those thoughts were attached to emotions. And so then it was like, I have to deal with these things. <laughs> you mean I have to deal with my emotions now head on while I'm still? You mean I can't be out using that as a coping mechanism? What do you mean? Yes. <laughs> yes. And then all of the things that I thought were like really good coping mechanisms back in the day. I'm like, I can't do those things right now. I'm, yeah. I'm with a child. So yeah. I have to you know, develop new things. And through that, you know, healthier ones developed. And I really started to learn about myself. But it took some time to realize, like, where I wanted to go and what I would do. So my beginning of motherhood journey started off a little rocky because of that. And then I started to put, you know, educational piece back into it. And I was teaching my daughter, when I first had my first daughter, I was teaching her. And so then it became, I have an outlet now. Right. I don't have my my thoughts just sitting here, just feel bad. I have my outlet and my outlet was through education okay. and teaching her first sign language so that she can communicate back with me. And it released her frustrations and not being able to communicate with me and not being able to be understood. And mm-hmm. so that was the foundation for her language aspect, which sign language just sign to me baby girl let's have a Mm -hmm. conversation (laughs) wow that is really amazing and was that just like based on something that you wanted to do or was it that you had seen other people do it with their kids or did it just kind of come naturally to you in a way that you wanted to communicate well I had taken sign language in college and I was like I love sign now but then I also I seen it being done with um I was an STNA, a nursing assistant. And when I was on a bus, I seen another nursing assistant communicating with her patient. And I was like, I could do that. What? Mm -hmm. And so that was my initiation to understanding what sign language was Mm -hmm. and how it can be utilized. And then when it came to me being a mom, I was like, oh, I could teach her this because at the time, you know, you go through the stages, they don't have vocabulary words yet, but they still get frustrated when they can't, 
properly communicate with you. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, we're going to eliminate this. You could tell me when you're hungry. You could tell me when you're thirsty. You could tell me the things that you need and mm-hmm. you are understanding and I'm understanding. And so when I see her pick it up so you know fast, I started to look at other videos of other kids learning sign language. Mm-hmm. And then she would take this and she would use it with other people. So when she had to go to the bathroom, when she wanted something and she wanted more of it, she would use these signs. And I was like, oh, look at that. Look at that. Kids Me. are so smart. We really don't. I feel like we don't give them enough credit for the amazingness that they like possess. Like, yeah, man, that that is amazing. And so um, a bit of the work that I do, as I mentioned, um, with is within like a, um, the doula space, within the birth work yeah. space. And so how familiar are you with it? Just curious as a parent, when you were going through your pregnancy, was working with a doula or a midwife something even presented to you? And did you have like lactation support and things like that? I'm, I just want to know just for my own research, because, you know, my understanding is that that's not normal necessarily. Yeah. Well, you know what? I didn't get offered a doula. I did do my own research. Okay. I was like, I need to have a birthing plan, like everything. Yes. Like everything I research. That's why I was like, let me do this naturally because I don't want the epidural. Mm. I just did a lot of research for it. And looked at everyone's story. I I definitely was well prepared for this journey. And so I didn't have a doula, but I did get the lactation um, consultations and stuff like that where they were helping me. They told me about process because it's difficult and to become chat and I experienced chatness and I experienced soreness when I was nursing Mm. and so I was like I have to have the strength to continue because it's healthy for you and then it also made me realize what I was putting into my body so it made me more conscious of what I was doing but I wish that I had more resources to get me connected to a doula. I think mm. that is fantastic. And it's not really offered as yeah. as something that is attainable for us as Black women, unfortunately. Because even, even if I would have known about the cost, right, I would have been able to prepare. Exactly. If I would have known about certain things, I could have prepared for it, right? So I appreciate you doing this work. Though, because no. it's definitely needed. <laughs> I, I, I'm always curious to hear people's journeys about how much access that they have and resources, um, depending on where they're at. Um, as I live yeah. in Oakland, I would say, you know, we're not necessarily the gold standard, but Oakland and San Francisco have put a lot of resources into providing um, birth support. And so I'm just curious for what that looks like for the rest of the U.S. And so that's good that you had even yeah. had the lactation consultant, because that in and of itself is not something that a lot of birthing folks know about um, but the yeah. fact that you know you had said you had to do your own research is a bit of you know is case in point right there you should have been able to walk into your doctor's office and had hundreds of pamphlets and it you know faqs that are are endless because i think that that you know may be able to contribute to your ease during your pregnancy so yeah um Especially yeah for you know young ladies that don't have like you know, their mothers with them, their grandmothers with yeah. them. And this is their first child. Like they need all of the resources because they don't have the other women to kind of tell them what they're about to go through. <laughs> no. Experience. And then even the work that's done after you have your child and yeah. you're tired, right? So, you know, I've known through my research that doulas also help inside the household after so that the mom can get some rest. And yep. I'm like, that is so awesome just to have like the community around you rather than you just being by yourself. Because in foster care, maybe you haven't been connected to a family for a permanent family. So there's no one really there to help you with your new child and so I appreciate doulas even though I did not have one. <laughs> oh we appreciate you and I think a lot of the work that I want to do is particularly concentrating on former foster youth because the fact yeah. that you said that you would researched I think you doing research on how to make sure your well sustained comes from you know as a trauma response from being in the foster care system because I too had to figure out a lot of resources to get through college because I'm like, no one's going to help me out on this. So I may as well do it for myself. 
And so um, being able to target folks who have been affected by the system is definitely something in particular that I want to do. Um, And so what would you say some advice for foster youth who are considering going to college? What are some resources and things that you wish you knew at the time? And maybe some of the things that you did to help get you through the process. Mm. Go to college is free money that's out there. <laughs> how do we find <laughs> it though? That's the question. How do they how, how how do they find it? Okay, so my journey is I um I knew that I was going to college. I just didn't know all the details about it. So my counselor in high school was like, hey, let me pull you into this meeting and let's fill out some applications for you. Let's fill out the financial aid for you because you're going to college. So I think you know, being vulnerable enough to allow people to just in and give you access to certain things is number one, because a lot of people on my journey pulled me in to give me access to certain spaces that then taught me about the resources. And then I did the follow-up, of course, but how did I get access, right? If you're in high school, you have a counselor. If they're not pulling you into the meeting, go talk to them about the meeting. And then they have the resources to help you. They have the knowledge to help you. And then when it comes to certain, um, I guess, financial, you know, opportunities, depending on where you stay, because I don't know about all of them around the United States, but I know here they offer in Cleveland, Ohio, got to put that out there, or Cuyahoga. We might do it for Cuyahoga, actually, but um, they have ETV, which is, a stipend $600 a month or $20 per day that you are enrolled in your your college um, semester because sometimes it's 300 because you know the way that the semester is you don't go to school for half of the month um, and then they also have the Chafee fund which is I'm getting them too confused College bound is the $600 a month ETV uh-huh. is the Chafee fund okay. and they have I think the 5,000, if I'm not mistaken, it might be more or less um, that they give foster youth. And then I think if you make the connections with them, they sometimes have more funds because they gave me a glorious scholarship and that was an additional $3,000. So I don't know, you have to keep the relationships with people because when you are at the top of their mind, you are at the top of the the list. It's true. So, you know, create the relationships with people and then ask questions about how to get funding, uh, what resources out there, and then also just Google searching for whatever county you're in and Mm -hmm. seeing, you know, what is provided. No, that's really good advice. And I think for me as well, um, I'm I'm particularly here in Contra Costa County. Um, There are so many resources. I really think that every former foster youth who wants to go to school should be able to graduate debt free because the resources are out there. The money is there. Yeah. It's more about those yeah. like turning over the stones that are normally unturned. And so again, it's working with your caseworker, working with your counselor, working with the school as well. Because I think, you know, being part of the foster care system in and of itself gives you a story where people yeah. are going to give you those scholarship funds. Like if yeah. they don't, you know, that's a whole other thing. But I think that makes us resilient in and of itself. And so being foster youth really just, yeah, it's it's a strength. It's definitely not a weakness. Did you take advantage of some of the resources out there? I was able to, and that's why I was able to graduate from school debt-free um, because I did take advantage of um, like FAFSA and, you know, okay. I, I've finagled my way. I got a few scholarships. It's interesting. It's funny. I laugh to myself now. I feel like I could have gotten a couple more. Um, but luckily yeah. I did what I did have sustained me for the time being. So um, yeah. definitely use those resources, no matter if you're on the East Coast, no matter if you're on the West Coast. I think here in the U.S. there are a good amount of funds for former foster youth. And so maybe that'll be an episode down the line, <laughs> even talking to folks about what resources to use, because, again, no former foster youth should graduate school with any sort of debt at all. So um, as we continue to wrap up, I would say with Yemoja Speaks, what are your plans for your online creativity? Because again, as you mentioned, you make reels, you talk about mental health. I know we've gone live together in the past, but like, what are what are some ways that we can support you and what can we look forward to uh, for 2023? Yes. 
So my plan is, you know, to increase my podcast, my podcast outreach. And so through the podcast, I am, you know, asking people if they want to share their experiences, their stories. And then I'm looking to shift the narrative about foster youth and aged out foster youth. So I have this thriving after foster care or trauma free um, campaign that's coming because I think that when we have the knowledge that other youth aged out successfully, and then we also have how they did it, what their plan was, because we don't want to recreate the real wheel. We want to kind of mimic what somebody else did to make our experience more swift and easily. So I do have, you know, you know, podcast episodes that's going to discuss like how I became the successful person that I am what yeah. resources I probably utilized, who mm-hmm. I utilized because people are there, and then what I had to do to take ownership and accountability for my stuff and my behaviors, my actions. And then I also have down the road my book that's going to be, you know, coming out later this year. And oh. my release date is November 3rd, 2023. Okay. Because that's 20 years from my initial um, experience of being in foster care. So I was in foster care November 3rd, 2003. Wow, that is powerful. And it's National, um, I think, Foster Care Awareness or Adopt the Awareness Month in November. So that is like a full circle moment. So I, <laughs> am, I, I we're definitely going to have you back on the pod to have your book um, promotion. Because that right there is... Wow, that is powerful. Yes. And I think, you know, I've read some more, you know, stories about foster care, but when I read them, it didn't give me what I was looking for. So I was mm-hmm. like, it's it's something missing out of the conversation. I, I get your story. What would you say is yes. missing? Well, the aspect of, you know, I get the stories, but add the stories to a lesson. And mm. I think some of the people didn't put the lesson in. And so my lesson that I want people to know is that all relationships is going to impact you. Mm-hmm. And you have to know how you're going to respond to those relationships. Are you going to be open and vulnerable and allow them to help you? Because some people are there to really help us. Mm-hmm. And if we are closed off and like, oh, and I don't, I don't want to vibe with you. I don't want to interact with you. Then we miss opportunities, right? We miss out on the resources. And then there's other relationships that want to impact us and have control of our lives. And it can take us into a completely wrong direction and we all know this and we can get thrown off and not realize that we're making the same behaviors and actions and doing some of the things that our parents did that led them down a certain road for us to be taken and so my lesson is our stories and our experience in foster care does not have to end like our parents no right stories and our journeys we could take what our parents had we could take what our families had that is good that we can actually utilize and it's going to be beneficial to us but then we can create a narrative and a story for ourselves and we can thrive after foster care we can be successful after foster care we might have a little bit of a struggle into adulthood because it's things that aren't taught aren't taught to us inside of the household in our foster homes maybe if we move around a lot it's not taught to us right certain adulting things that you must know right but since we are going through this experience it makes us stronger Mm -hmm. but how we respond to the certain things that happen to us and still being resilient helps us navigate our our lives and becoming successful and being able to give that resource back to other youth I think that that's our superpower right right then and there like yeah you can't that's not something that, as you said, even with your education, that's not something that someone can take away. That experience in foster care, it happened. We understand it. It affects us. It shows up. But what are we going to do about it? And that's in, you know, you and I show the things that we're, we're doing. And so I, I tip my hat to you and I really am, am rooting for you as you continue on this journey because that that's amazing. Yes. And I'm rooting for you too, because I know that you're going to be powerful. Like you don't have to start, you know, extremely early to advocate for foster youth because you have so much time ahead of you that you can do. 
And I appreciate that, as do you, you know, we're oh, young, no, we're making you? our moves. Like, I think now, you know, this conversation in and of itself shows the power of the internet and the ways that you can connect with someone at just the top of a button. And I think particularly for former foster youth, um, we all like folks who reach out, it's like, hey, I'm also part of the, 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 the space. It's like, okay, I get you. There's like a mutual understanding. You don't really have to over explain. Yeah. So I think that yeah. that's what also makes it special being in this community and now being more open yeah. about it. And again, you said for you, you've been talking about it for, you know, almost a decade respectively. And, you know, again, this is so new to me, but no matter where we're at, it's, it's yeah. still an equal playing field because of the experiences that we've had. So um, how can the people show up and support you? Where can we find you on the internet to follow and like and uplift? Yes. So I am over primarily on Instagram at, at Yamoja Speaks. Um, if you, do you want me to spell it out or do you yeah, want me feel to free, Yeah, I'd say make it accessible. How, how do, you can spell it for the folks. Okay, so it's Y-E-M-O-J-A uh, Speaks, of course. And I also have a podcast. So you can research the podcast into Google uh, Engine Search and it's going to pop up. But it's displayed on like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and so many other ones. Also on Anchor, okay. FM. Or I think it's just FM. Okay. Uh, Anchor, FM. And then if you just search for Yamoja Speaks, everything should pop up. I do have a Facebook that I think I might get into for, you know, the older audience that yes. is still on Facebook. The aunties. Over there, because they, you know, they, the they eat it up. Need to be in conversation. <laughs> it's really funny. And so um, since you have your presence on Instagram as well, are there any other accounts that you should, um, that you wanted to direct folks to that might be having similar conversations to you? Ooh, similar conversations. I would recommend yours, of course. That's at the top of my list. Yeah. Um, but I do have another um, Instagram account, Yamojis Media, which okay. is my marketing and photography. And I am going through a rebranding you know, process. So I'm about to eliminate a lot of the pictures that I have up there. Okay. Um, and then what really helped me, and I got to shout this out, is Therapy for Black Girls. Okay. I listen to this podcast a lot. And so, you know, the conversations that they have about emotional development is really good. And I guess they talked about, it's not geared to foster care, it's geared to therapy and okay. therapeutic practices. Okay. Yeah. I mean, hey, I think we, we've worked with, you know, <laughs> folks in the therapy space as former foster youth. So it's all relevant. And so, um, yeah, thank you for that recommendation. But if, without further ado, I really appreciate you sharing the space with me today, sharing your story. I know that there are a lot of good takeaways. And so um, I look forward to reading your book because, again, that date, I'm I'm always huge into dates. So you sharing the context about that being 10 years, like that tore at my heartstrings. So I wish you nothing, nothing but success. I know it's going to be a New York Times bestseller because and it's going to be amazing. So much love to you. So thank you for sharing space. We'll talk. Thank you for having me. Of course. Of course. Amazing.